scripture reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. The grass withers and flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, good morning. My name is Gene, and I'm one of the pastors here at Exilic, and I want to welcome you again to our Sunday morning worship service. I got a chance yesterday to uh, go to Overpeck Park and cheer on our two flag football teams. And I want to say I'm very proud of our church and for the way that they've handled themselves. Other churches, all they care about is winning, but not us. Um, we were the humblest church there by far, and I will say great will be our reward in heaven. Last week, we began a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. Why are we doing this series? Well, if we're honest with ourselves, prayer is something that most Christians struggle with. It's not something that we're naturally inclined to do. Rather, it requires work. There's learning. There's training. There's honing involved. In Luke 11, one of Jesus' disciples, he comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, John the Baptist, he's teaching his disciples how to pray. Can you teach us? And Jesus' response to him is the Lord's Prayer. In uh, 2009, I had a very interesting experience. During the, the World Figure Skating Championships in Los Angeles, I got a chance to meet Una Kim right before and after she won the gold medal and set the world record for the ladies' short program and the ladies' overall score. See, I, I got to know her coach kind of well, Brian Orser, and he introduced me to her. And I spent a little bit of time with him that week. And I am not a fan of figure skating at all. But I remember watching him watch other figure skaters. You know, as a casual Olympic watcher, I, I understand that there's degrees of difficulty in the jumps. There's triple axles and double toes and quadruple something. Uh, but I, it would be just a normal spin. You know, when the figure skaters just spin, a normal twirl. And uh, he'd be like, oh, no, 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 no. Or, Wow. And I'd be scratching my head going, what am I watching right now? We're watching the exact same thing. 
but he'd be cheering and clapping or, or, or kind of like smacking his forehead and, and I'm just kind of shrugging. This was the man coaching the greatest figure skater of all time. And I remember thinking, if only I cared even a little bit about figure skating, man, I would really appreciate this moment and I could really learn something. The reason we're going through the Lord's Prayer is that if you're going to learn how to pray, you go to the best at it. The preeminent expert, the goat, the greatest of all time. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Do you struggle with prayer? Do you have a hard time being consistent in your prayer life? There's no one better to teach you than Jesus himself. He gives us the Lord's Prayer. Now, many of us have the Lord's Prayer memorized. It's something that even many non-Christians are familiar with. But what are we supposed to do with it? I think we often think of the Lord's Prayer as words to recite. We don't pray it much during our worship service regularly, but you may have done so in a public setting at a church. But the Lord's Prayer, it is a guide or a pattern. It's not a formula. It's not a mantra for us to say again and again and again. Jesus is teaching us how to pray rather than teaching us precisely what to pray. This then is how you should pray, not this then is what you should pray. The Lord's Prayer is Jesus teaching us how to fish. It's not him giving us the fish itself. So last week, Dr. Harvey, he kicked us off with the beginning of the prayer, Our Father in Heaven. Now, this is not a petition, but it's the one whom we address in prayer. We pray to a heavenly Father. Not some distant deity, but a loving and an intimate Father. This is something that is unique to Christianity. Only Christians view God as a Father. For Jews and, and for Muslims, God is too transcendent to ever be a literal father. Fatherhood, it implies a level of, of intimacy and equality. And as Dr. Harvey unpacked for us last week, Jesus tells us that we pray to a loving father. And this week we look at the next line of the prayer, hallowed be your name. And this is probably the most overlooked and the least understood line of the prayer. It's something that we say, but it's something that we don't really think about what it means. And we move on to the more familiar parts of the Lord's Prayer. But there's a reason that this is the first thing that we ask for in the Lord's Prayer. There is an infinitely profound truth that we are meant to consider here. On the first page of your bulletin, there's a quote by John Piper, and he calls this line the most important prayer request in the world. Here's what he says. The most important prayer is that the most important person in the universe do the most important act in the universe. That's why Jesus put this request at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name. God is the most important person in the universe, more important than all others put together. The whole-souled act of hallowing God's name is the most important act in the universe. Hallowed be your name means see to it that your name is hallowed. 
use your infinite power and wisdom and love to stir up billions of hearts and minds to admire you and prize you above all things. I want to highlight just three things that we learn about prayer in this petition. When we ask God to hallow his name, we are shown the right approach, the right attitude, and the right appeals in prayer. Approach, attitude, and appeals. First, the right approach. We pray to a father, but how do we approach him? As a father, there is intimacy and love, but he is no ordinary father. We are never to take him for granted. What does it mean to hallow? Now, it's interesting because hallow is an old English word that, that's rarely used anymore. I mean, when was the last time you used the word hallow in conversation? And I think it says something about how starved of transcendence our modern culture is that the NIV and the ESV translators, they still use the old word because there's just no equivalent in modern English. Hallowed means to honor as holy. It means to treat as sacred. But, but what does that mean? What does holy mean? You know, in the Hebrew, when something is doubled, it's emphasized. When Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, what he's saying is, this is true. <laughs> it's really true. It's really important. But you know, when something is tripled in the Hebrew, it is the ultimate superlative. There, there's no level four. There's no quadrupling because tripling is the highest possible emphasis. And the only attribute of God that is ever tripled in the Bible is holy. Nowhere do we see love, love, love or grace, grace, grace. But the seraphim in heaven, they call out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with your glory. When people say today that a person is holy, don't they often think of someone like the Pope or the Dalai Lama who, who are moral exemplars, right? They're, they're unlike ordinary people. And that's true. The literal meaning of holy is simply other, different, unlike us, indescribably distinct. R.C. Sproul writes in The Holiness of God that God is the ultimate stranger. He is the ultimate foreigner. He is holy and we are not. What that means is God transcends every aspect of our existence. He is so far beyond, so other than our reality. The Bible gives us many pictures of God's holiness. One of the most striking ones is Isaiah's encounter with the holy God. You know, most of the prophets in the Old Testament, they had humble backgrounds. You know, some were peasants, some were farmers, some were shepherds. Isaiah was a noble. He was a noble in the king's court. He rubbed shoulders with princes and kings. But after King Uzziah dies, Isaiah sees another king, a different king, the ultimate king. 
He says in Isaiah 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah sees God. And you know what's interesting? What's the first detail that he provides? The train of his robe filled the temple. This is an odd detail for him to to include. Isaiah sees the king, and the first thing he's talking about is God's outfit, God's robe. And we see something similar to this in Exodus 24. Then Moses and Arab and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and when they saw the God of Israel, there was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. Moses and the elders of Israel, they too see God. They saw the God of Israel. The first detail provided is that under God's feet is a pavement of stone. Isaiah sees God and he talks about the train of his robe. The, Moses and the elders see God and, and they talk about the pavement. What does this tell us? This tells us that God is too great to behold. His glory is too much for the people to see. The first instinct when you see God, it's to look away. To shield the eyes. Isaiah, he can't look up, so what does he do? He bows low. Moses and the elders, they can't look up, so they look down to the pavement. It's fascinating that when God manifests himself in his holiness people have to shield their eyes from his radiance. And they can only talk about the color of the pavement or the length of his robe. And Isaiah, he finally gathers the courage to glance up. And again, he cannot bear to look directly at God. So what does he do? He looks above God. And he sees the seraphim, the great angels. And they have six wings. And even these great angels, these angelic creatures, they cannot look upon God. With one pair of wings, they're covering their faces. With another pair of wings, they're covering their feet. And with another pair of wings, they're flying, hovering around the throne, calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. How do we approach God? He is a father, but we must not forget that he is holy. Your prayer is incredible because when we pray, the infinitely holy, transcendent, and almighty God turns to us and gives us his undivided attention. So what is our posture? What is our approach in prayer? It is one of wonder, awe, reverence for our holy God. This is how we approach God when we pray that his name be hallowed. My next point is the right attitude. You know, Isaiah's response to God's holiness, it's not, oh, wow, this is great. Instead, Isaiah is traumatized. 
And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me! I am lost! I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah can't handle what he's seeing. He cannot bear it. He, he cries out, woe is me, I am lost. The word for lost, it's also translated as ruined or undone. He's coming apart at the seams. He's unraveling, he's disintegrating. Encounter with the holy God, it's not characterized by warmth, peace, contentment, love. It is beholding an indescribable and awful greatness. It's not a nice experience. It's downright terrifying. You know, because Isaiah, he was known in Israel to be a righteous man. He was well-respected. He had a spotless reputation. But that's compared to other people. Now, when you compare him relative to perfection itself, he cannot bear it. You know, there are some gentlemen here who... Uh, think they're pretty good golfers, and I, I see on Instagram that you go out quite a lot and, and, you, and, you, and you, you know, swing the club and hit a few balls, but imagine you're paired one day with Tiger Woods, and, and as you're taking your backswing, he's studying your every move. All of a sudden now, this is a, a little bit more of a traumatic experience for you. You're not quite as confident as you are you're not going to Instagram that anymore. <laughs> Multiply that by infinity, and we're getting a little bit closer to what we're talking about here. When we come face to face with God and perfection, it's too much for us to bear. So in a sense, when we ask hallowed be your name. We're, we're not making a statement that God is holy, but we're asking him to make his name holy to us and to the world. What we're doing is we're asking, we're inviting this horror upon ourselves. We're asking God to give us a sense of his holiness. May your name be hallowed. This is no small. This is not a harmless petition that we are making to him. See, the problem is that we are not holy. We are sinful. And sin and holiness cannot coexist. The result is what Isaiah experienced, disintegration, despair. I want to ask, have you experienced this at all? Have you beheld the holiness and the greatness of God, His presence, have you felt crushed beneath the weight of your sin? Have you thought, how could this perfect God ever love someone like me? You know, we should be hallowing God's name. That's what we we're created to do. But instead, we hallow far lesser things, don't we? We revere and value things like career, relationships, comforts, pleasure, money, instead of hallowing God's name. 
Jesus begins our passage by telling his disciples, don't pray like the hypocrites. These hypocrites, they only pray in public. What they're doing is they're using prayer as a vehicle to get what they truly want. Respect, reputation. But Jesus tells his disciples, when you pray, go into your room. Close the door. Pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You know what's a good test to see what you're hallowing? Tim Keller says, what you do in secret. Bishop William Temple says, your religion is what you do with your solitude. What do you think about when you're alone? Do you hallow and adore God? Or does your mind naturally drift towards other things? Beauty, love, wealth, comfort, earthly success. When do you pray most? Do you only pray when you need something? Because you want that promotion? Or you want to date that person? Do you pray only when something that you truly value is in jeopardy? Aren't we, if we're being honest, hypocrites in the way that we try to use and manipulate God? If that's the case, then holiness should be the last thing we ask for because it would mean condemnation unless there's a way that we could be made holy. You see, hallowed be your name, it's not something that we can do. It's something that God must do in us and for us. In Exodus 33, Moses makes a request of God. And it's similar to hallowed be your name. Moses asked God, please God, show me your glory. And God tells him, no, no, no one can see my face and live. So what God proposes is that he would hide Moses in the cleft of a rock and cover him with his hand. Then he would pass by him. So how does Moses see God? He's covered. He's safely hidden in the rock. The rock is what bears the full brunt of God's holiness, and Moses beholds God safely shielded from him. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that the rock is Jesus. He is the rock of ages, cleft for me. We behold the holiness of God through our rock of ages. What this means is that being a Christian, it doesn't mean that you're holier than anyone else. It doesn't mean that you're morally superior. You're not better than anybody. But being a Christian means that upon the cross, Jesus bore the full brunt of God's holiness and he covered our sin with his blood. Jesus is our great high priest who brings us all the way in to the Holy of Holies, to the presence of God. And through Jesus, we can approach our Heavenly Father with confidence. So what is the right attitude when we pray? It's a combination. 
It's confidence, but humility. It's, it's reverence and delight. It's awe and gratitude. My last point is the right appeals. You see, when God's name is hallowed in our hearts, it changes the way we pray entirely. You know, all of the petitions in the Lord's Prayer, they're connected, and and we're going to see a lot more of this in the coming weeks. When we have the proper approach and the proper attitude, we will then make the proper appeals to God. We'll go through these in depth, but let me just mention a few examples. When we hallow God's name, it changes the way we pray for everything else in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. You know, this petition is about what we need, not what we want. It's, we don't ask God, give me today my daily dessert. We say daily bread. And it's daily. It's just enough for that day. You see, the more you hallow God, the less of everything else you want and feel you need. He becomes more than enough for you. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know, if you don't hallow God, you're not going to have a sense of of your own sinfulness. In Jeremiah 2.12, God calls upon the heavens to be appalled and to shudder with great horror at our sin. What this means is that when the angels and the heavenly creatures, they see us sinning, they're shocked by it. They're, They're horrified. Because all they see all day long is the holiness of God. And then they look at us sinning and they go, how could they do that? How can, how can they, they, they sin against this holy God? I love how John Piper puts it. He says, sin is the insanity of looking at God in all of his holiness and glory and then saying, no thanks, no thanks. The more you hallow God's name, the more you will shudder and be appalled at your own sin. You will hate your sin and rush to repentance. And you'll be quick to forgive others because you want them to hallow God's name too. Finally, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, the entire story of Job is, the most fast, is one of the most fascinating stories in the entire Bible. Job loses his ten children, he loses all of his wealth, and he loses his health as well. And the entire book of Job is him grappling with temptation and evil. His wife encourages him, just curse God and die, honey. And his best friends tell him, hey, it's your fault. You must have done something wrong. And he struggles to trust in God in the midst of the worst suffering imaginable. And how does the book end? God hallows his name to Job. He walks Job through creation. And he asks him, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Job, do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Hey, Job, does the lightning consult you before it strikes? You see what God's doing here? He's hallowing his name. And finally, Job says, God, at the, my, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes see you. 
God can and will deliver us from evil because he is the almighty God and his name will be hallowed. Prayer, it must begin with God's name being hallowed in us. But it doesn't stop with us. When we ask that God's name is hallowed, we want his name to be hallowed across all of creation. We want the whole earth to be filled with his glory. And what we're asking him to do is just that, not just in my heart, but in every heart. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. When we ask that God hallow his name, we recalibrate our hearts to have the right approach, the right attitude, and the right appeals in prayer. So let me close with a practical application. Isn't our ratio in prayer often 90% asking God for things and about 10% for everything else? God, thank you, forgive me, all of that. What if we reverse that? What if we spent 90% of our time in prayer hallowing, adoring, treasuring God? If you think about it, hallowed be your name is the answer to all of life's problems. Do you struggle with anxiety? What you really need is for God's name to be hallowed. Depression, hallowed be your name. Addiction, hallowed be your name. Insecurity, fear, bitterness, envy, hallowed be your name. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.